You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. All right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Neil Bernardino, and I'm the pastor of this church. And a happy Easter to everybody. Today we are finishing our series on Beyond the Signs. And we've been looking at the different miracles of Jesus in the book of John, which were referred to as signs. The reason for this series is for us to recognize the meaning beyond the signs, what the signs or these miracles of Jesus point to. And these signs point to a greater reality of who he is so that we may come to believe in him. Not just for us to marvel at the signs and the miracles, but for us to go beyond that and see the source of the sign, where that the power of demonstration came from, and that we may believe in Jesus. So with that, I'd like to ask you all to turn your Bibles to John chapter 11, and we're going to be talking about resurrection today, and we're going to look at a resurrection account, not a resurrection from the last resurrection, but someone who has died and was raised back to life. That was Lazarus, and so if you could turn to John chapter 11, we're going to read from verses 38 through 45. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you? that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your eternal word. Your word is life, and you, Lord, have the words of eternal life. And Lord, I pray that we would realize that there is no other place we are to go but to you. Lord, not to any religion, not to any ideology or philosophy. Lord, but we only turn to you and have a relationship with you, the one and only living God, who is living as in three persons, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we pray today that as we see the extent of the power of Jesus. Lord, let that power touch us today and that we may experience the power and the love of Christ that brings life. Father, we commit the sermon to you for your glory and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle John, who's the author of this book, mentioned that there were other signs and wonders. There were other miracles that Jesus performed that he did not mention. That if 
it were written, it's going to take up a lot. It's going to make up a longer book. But he basically, out of all the miracles, selected several of them for him to drive home a point. And, you know, when you write something, you have a point that you're making. And the goal of John was to relay all these signs and wonders so that the readers would come to know who Jesus is and that they would come to believe in him. That was his goal. Here we reach the last of the seven signs that Jesus performed that John wrote about. This basically is the climactic sign, the last of the seven, that occurred. This is a very, very special sign because it pointed to something more significant. It pointed to something greater, and it pointed actually to what Jesus was going to do. Just to give you a background, Lazarus was uh, the brother of Mary and Martha, and Mary was the person who anointed Jesus, wept at his feet, and uh, you know anointed him with oil, with expensive oil or perfume. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, so Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha, and he was sick, and Jesus was in another place. And in chapter 11, at the beginning of chapter 11, we see that Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus. They were living in Bethany near Jerusalem, and Jesus was like a few days away from their place. And so they sent a message to Jesus, their dear friend and their Lord, to let him know that Lazarus, his friend, was sick. And so Jesus heard the news. So when when the messenger came, and it was a couple of days' journey to Bethany, he said in verse 4, after he heard the news, he said in verse 4, this illness does not lead to death or does not end in death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, you see, Jesus himself used the Son of God here. Basically, he was revealing his person, his divinity, his title as the Son of God. But we're not going to get into that now. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Just like what we talked about previously, that uh, there was a person who was sick, who was born blind, and Jesus was asked, who sinned that this man was born blind? Did his parents sin or did he sin? But Jesus said, neither. But this happened so that the glory of God may be demonstrated. May be demonstrated through him. God wants to reveal his glory. When we talk about the glory of God, and as we look at this narrative, you see here Jesus saying the glory of God will be revealed, and then the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then he told Martha about seeing the glory of God. And then at the tomb, before Jesus raised Lazarus, we see Jesus again. Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So the glory of God is when you talk to an Israelite at the time, they would remember the glory of God that resided among them in the temple, in the tabernacle, the visible glory of God, what they call the, we pronounce it Shekinah, and I don't know how they pronounce it, Shekinah. So, but they call it the Shekinah glory of God, the tangible, the visible glory or presence that marked the Israelites as unique because all the other nations around them had temples to their gods, and in those temples, they had idols of their gods. But Israel was different because in the temple of God in Israel, there were no idols there. 
But the glory of God resided in the temple, signifying that, number one, He is the one and true God. There's no other. And secondly, that this God really lives among His people. That's why the nations around them were scared of them, scared of the Israelites. There's no one like the Lord that the nations would describe. When you talk to an average Israelite at the time of Jesus, and during the time of the Babylonian exile, it's interesting, Ammon read from Ezekiel. He was one of the prophets who were living in exile. He saw the glory of God depart from the temple in Jerusalem. It departed from the temple. It left the temple when the Israelites were exiled. So the glory of God no longer resided in the temple. And now they rebuilt the temple after the exile. But it was not the same. So in the tabernacle of Moses, we see when they set up a tabernacle, the glory of God came upon that tabernacle. And then when they built the temple, the glory of God came upon the temple and it was visible. They could see and feel it. But here in this new temple that they rebuilt, it wasn't like that at all. When you talk about seeing the glory of God, they would recall of the time when the Israelites did see a visible representation of the glory of God. How many of you have seen that? We have not seen that kind of glory. So now Jesus is saying you would see the glory of God. So that's one of the themes of this narrative that upon the resurrection, the glory of God is revealed. We will see it, the glory of God. Okay. This illness does not end in death. So Jesus and his disciples set out after a day. The Bible says they stayed for a day or two before they moved out. Some people say, your friend is sick and he's dying and you linger on there. I mean, that's cruel. You know, it's not cruelty. Remember, Jesus already knew what was going to happen. He and his disciples set out from, from I believe, from Galilee. They set out to Bethany near Jerusalem. It's a couple of days journey for them. You know, they didn't have cars then. So it was a couple of days journey. When they arrived in Judea, Martha heard about it. And so she ran from her house and met Jesus along the way. But he was right there at the edge of the town of Bethany. So she met him. But when Jesus got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Remember, Martha sent messengers to Jesus. So that journey alone took about a few days, probably a couple of days, two days at the very least. Probably by the time they reached Jesus, where he was, Lazarus had already died. And remember, Jesus stayed for two days more. And then when they got to Bethany, Lazarus was already dead for four days. And he was already buried in a tomb, and there was a stone that covered the entrance of the tomb. It was a cave, and so the, the stone was there, signifying that this is a tomb. The stone symbolized somehow finality of the situation. He's dead. When you're dead, that's it. That's final. Let's look at the story here in, in verses 21 through 27. Let's look at their dialogue, Martha and Jesus. Okay, in verse 21, it says, And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now remember, Jesus had been healing. Aside from his teaching, he had been healing people. He had been doing miraculous healings. And so Martha had come to believe in Jesus that if he was just there, you know, my brother would not have died. You were late, Lord. 
I mean, you miss it by four days. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many of us are somewhat like that? We can relate with Martha, that we have a schedule, a time frame, we have a crisis, and we're believing that this miracle, and the miracle did not happen on the date or on the, at the time that we wanted it to happen. And then God speaks to us and says, Lord, it's kind of too late. I mean, he's dead, or it's gone, or it's, it's done. If you had been here earlier, or if you just acted earlier, or if you did not procrastinate, we, we smirk, we laugh, but sometimes that's how we feel. We think that God owes it to us to meet us at our schedule at the time we set on Him. You, you know get what I'm saying here? Sometimes we impose things on God and demand that God meet our need at the time that we want Him to. That's what you do with genies. At least if genies are real, <laughs> you know, they're not. But that's the idea. We, sometimes we treat God as a genie. And here, had you been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And then Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So Jesus was telling her plainly, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see the mindset of Martha, you missed him, he's now dead, but I know you will raise him up on the last day. She was thinking eschatologically, okay, thinking about the future, what's going to happen. So there, we see a glimpse of what she believes. And during their time, the resurrection of the dead was something that was becoming prevalent among the Jews because of the teachings of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were scribes. These were scribes and teachers of the law, and they believed in the resurrection. And so they taught the people, and so this is a prevalent mindset. But there's another group during their time they were, that who did not believe in the resurrection. They were called the Sadducees. These were the priests. Okay, so we have the priests and the scribes. The priests were the Sadducees and the scribes were the Pharisees. But together they make up the council of elders and they call it the Sanhedrin, headed by the chief priest or the high priest. So the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Some preacher would say, that's why they were sad, you see. You know, so they were sad. No, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, but the Pharisees did. And so Martha believed this probably because of the prevalent belief of the Jews at the time. Or probably this is something that she had gathered from the teachings of Jesus. We don't know. We, all we know is that she believed this. But it didn't cross her mind that she was going to see her brother again now. She was thinking, yes, he will be resurrected in the last day. Jesus said to her, yes, and there's truth to what she believed. Believers in Christ will be resurrected in the last day. They will be resurrected. When she said, he will be resurrected in the last day, I kind of picture my imagination. It's just my, this is not Bible. This is my imagination. I kind of like see Jesus get excited a bit. And said, you believe he's going to be resurrected on the last day? Yes. I am the resurrection and the life. I am here now. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, 
though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone, verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is what Jesus said. We're going to continue our sermon series on the I am statements of Jesus. And we're going to be talking about this more in detail. This particular statement, I am the resurrection and life. So we're not going to unpack that now. But Jesus was saying to her, I am here right now. And Jesus said, do you believe this? And this is interesting. Look at her pronouncement. I believe that you are the Christ or the Messiah. And here's another thing that she declared. She understood. You are the Christ, the Son of God. That is an ascription of a title of, of the person of, of Jesus Christ before he took on the form of man. He has been always known as the Son of God in the heavens. And now, just like Peter received a revelation, this was a revelation to Martha as well. So she understood. She saw plainly who Jesus really is. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So she perfectly understood who he was. In other words, you're the one that the prophets and the, the scriptures were prophesying about. You are here right now. She had that understanding. Now, how many of us would want to get to that point where we really see Jesus for who he really is? You want to get there? It's by revelation. You ask God, but you have to put your faith in him. But it didn't mean she understood everything, as we're going to see later on. Here, this is their discourse. Then Martha went back to the house to tell her sister Mary that the teacher is here and he is calling for you. Now, of course, their brother had just died four days ago. And this is the period of their mourning. And in their culture, they were mourners. They were friends who would mourn. Here, I think with us, after we lay our deceased loved ones to rest, you know, when, they, when we bury them. After that, then people go back to their normal schedule, except for the ones who were bereaved. But in their culture, even after they laid the dead person in a tomb, several days after the people, they will still be there as a support system for those who were grieving. And so she was there in the house grieving, and there were the other Jews there who were consoling her and Martha. And when Martha told her, Mary, that Jesus was in town, he's at the edge of town, she got up and she went straight for Jesus. Now, the people around her, thought that she was going to the tomb of her brother. And so they went with her. Again, their role at that time was to console her and support her and be with her. And so she goes to Jesus, and this group follows her, and they become witnesses of Mary's interaction with Jesus. And so look, let's pick up the story in verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She said the same thing, exactly the same thing. Probably a few days before, maybe Mary and Martha were having a conversation. If the master had just been here. So they both were thinking the same thing. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was greatly troubled. You know, he loved this family. You know how it is when you have friends and you have friends who you treat like family? You treat them like family, they treat you like family. So when they come over, they know they're like family. So they just go straight to your fridge 
and just, hey, what do you have here? So, and they just lie down. <laughs> I have a best friend who was always in our house that my mom would prepare a meal for, for all our family plus one. This guy. So, so he wept and Jesus said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then you see it in the English translation of the Bible. This is the shortest verse in English. Jesus wept. As Jesus wept, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. So it was very evident that Jesus loved this man with a genuine love. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind? So they knew. See, they heard about him opening the eyes of the blind. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Some of us can relate with those people saying, you know, God did that for him. But in our situation, can God do this? In my situation, I know that's a miracle, but this is the same situation. He did it for them. Will he do it for us? And see, Jesus does not, for his divine and omniscient purpose, he does not heal everyone, but he is the healer. And sometimes he allows people to go through sickness, and then he allows them not to get healed. And you say, unfair! You know, God has a purpose for everything. You understand that? I mean, have you heard of Nick Vujicic? Have you seen him? He does not have any limbs. No arms, no legs. In his testimony, he could just say, Lord, why did you... So he questioned, you listen to his testimony. At first, he asked why. How come I'm not the same? How come I don't get to be like them? But you see, he came to grips with his situation. And even in that limitation, he said, whatever you gave me, Lord, I will worship you. And I'm going to honor you. And now he's preaching to people about Jesus. And that it doesn't matter if you have limbs or not. As long as you know who Jesus, your heart is, then you are full. So anyway, going back to the story, could he kept him from dying? So now they go to the tomb. Verse 39, let's skip to the time that they're already at the tomb. Jesus said, take away the stone. So they're at the tomb. Take away the stone. It's like saying today, dig up that grave. Or if the person is in a mausoleum, open that thing. Lift off the lid of that casket. How many of you would be horrified at the thought? What? What do you mean? Roll the stone away. He said, take away the stone. The stone that blocked, that separated life from death. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he has been dead four days. Now remember, they did not have type of embalming techniques that the Egyptians had. The Egyptians embalmed to an excellent degree that corpses even survived today, mummified. But here in their culture, the decay rate is high. Okay, because their embalming techniques were not as advanced as the Egyptians. So, four days. By this time, there would be an odor. For he's been dead four days. Now, it's interesting. Martha said, I believe you will raise him. But in her mind, it is in the last day. And I believe you are the Christ, 
the Son of God, the one who was to come. And yet, in her mind, she was limited by the natural. She walked with a revelation of who Jesus is and still did not get the full picture. The implications of who Jesus is. And many of us are like that. We know who Jesus is, but we're still learning about who he is as we walk with him on a daily basis. Wouldn't you agree? We're discovering more and more of who Jesus is. And so, here, it shows you basically that she did not have a clue what Jesus was telling her previously. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe it. But she didn't get the connection that he is the resurrection and the life. And basically, he could bring life to Lazarus. She did not make that connection. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Let's read that again. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see? That if you believed, you would see the glory of God. Say it again. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see? Let's say that again slowly. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see. Are you getting this? A lot of people today argue, show me first. Give me proof. So we have a lot of agnostics and atheists and those who require proof first. They hide behind science. It's like this, this guy in, in Nacho Libre. Have you seen that? You know, Esqueleto. I believe in science. As if science was supposed to oppose God's truth. Science explains everything that is natural. It does not and can never explain the supernatural. It's above its pay grade. You get what I'm saying? Science is not that qualified to explain the supernatural. But science does point to that. If you are in God's truth, you would see that there is no conflict between the truth of God and science. There was a point in science at the time in history where when science believed... That the earth was the center of the universe. That everything revolved around the earth. Science explained that. Right? Science is not totality of knowledge. Science has been advancing, but it's still learning. There are things that science cannot explain. I think in many years, science will be able to connect the dots more and more. But that's why many scientists today see the connection that's why a lot of them are turning to God in embracing faith. So here, Jesus himself said, Believe, then you will see. One of his apostles said, who did not see him when he was risen, his name is Thomas, he said, Unless I see him, I will not believe. And Jesus showed himself to him, Hey Thomas, it's me. Touch my hand. See these wounds? Touch those wounds. Touch my side here. See where it's pierced? I'm not a ghost. I'm real. And then Thomas bowed down and said, My Lord and my God, he said. He acknowledged who he really was. He finally believed and Jesus said to him, It's good, you finally believe. You believe because you've seen. But I tell you a greater truth. Blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen. So here, it's an element of faith here. 
And you would see the glory of God. The manifestation of the presence of God. You see, when God's presence is manifested, things don't remain the same. When God manifests His presence, the supernatural becomes an occurrence. Because God is beyond the natural. He created all things. He created natural order of the universe. He supersedes it. And when God manifests His presence, His glory, miracles happen. And here, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up His eyes and said, and He prayed out loud. Remember, there was a crowd there. And here's what He prayed. He talked to the Father, but He made sure everyone heard what He was telling the Father in His prayer. Father, I thank You that You have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around here, or the people here, that they may believe that you sent me. Here it is again, believe. The glory of God, believe. The glory of God manifesting, but you have to believe for you to see the glory of God. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! He was calling the dead man. Now, imagine you were one of those Jews who were there. Spring to the Father. What is he going to do? He rolled the stone. This is all weird. And then he talks, calls out, he's calling the dead! And then they saw, it's like a horror show. Probably there was a background music. And Lazarus came out of the tomb. And probably people were like, ah! Probably some of them ran, I don't know. <laughs> so here he called out Lazarus come out the man who had died came out remember he had been dead four days came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and somebody asked me before I mean I remember just I just remember I forgot now when and where and who I remember being asked if he was embalmed what happened there I mean if he was embalmed how can he be alive well don't even worry about it the, the fact that he's alive you know, that's beside the point. I mean, the fact that he's alive, that means there was a miracle. And probably those organs, there was things that were removed. Were You get what I'm saying here? Jesus brought him back from the dead. So he's whole again. So here, and his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. You know, like they wrap him, you know, they, that's how they do it with their corpses. They wrap them tight. You're not going to struggle if they wrap you tight, you're inanimate. He was bound, and Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. And the result here, Lazarus is alive, and the result, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. There are people who believe even without seeing a sign, because they believe the word. They believe the testimony of the people. They believe the testimony of this word. They just believe. But some people require signs. And God is gracious enough to show his power through signs and wonders so that people believe. So here, the Jews who had seen believed. You see? It was different. See, God was gracious enough to show him his power and his love for them by raising the dead. Now, let's look at as we wind this down, let's look at different responses to this sign and 
This was referred to as a sign by uh, the Sanhedrin, by uh, the scribes and the Pharisees. And from these different responses, we could see points of identification with us. First, let's look at Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha were already believers. And Martha even exemplified that she understood who Jesus is. He is the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is to come. I mean, theology is great. She understood. And because of this miracle, what do you think happened to them? It's not mentioned here, but put yourself in their shoes. What would happen to you if your brother who died, but you're already a believer and your brother died, and then Jesus raised him from the dead? What's, what do you think is going to happen to you? You go, oh, cool, great, we get to hang out again. Thank you, Lord. Is it going to be like that? No, your, your reverence and your awe of Jesus will increase and deepen, and your response will be of greater worship. That's why in the next few chapters, you will see Mary coming to Jesus crying and then wetting his feet with his tears, wiping it with her hair, and then pouring out expensive perfume as an act of worship. Your worship will deepen if you're a believer and Jesus displays his power. And that means when he displays his power, he always demonstrates his love. Their faith grew all the more. What about the Jews who were there? The Jews said, many of them believed. Maybe you're you're like the Jews. Maybe you're just there. You didn't know what was happening. You're not anti-Jesus. But you're just probably a seeker. You're questioning. Really? Is he really? Could he really be? Because they had questions. Could he who opened the eyes of the blind, could he not keep this man from dying? And now he goes beyond what he was supposed to do. And and now they believe. Maybe some of you here are like that. You know, you're not anti-Jesus. But you began to see things that connect the dots for you and point to the greater reality who Jesus is. And now their response was they believed. Now, if you're like them, would you believe? But some of these Jews went and reported the matter, the whole incident, this miracle. They went to the Pharisees and reported it. And the Pharisees gathered the Sanhedrin, the scribes, gathered the Sadducees and the chief priests, and they discussed, what are we going to do with this, Jesus? Okay, but we're going to get there, okay? Next, maybe some of you are like Lazarus. You're already dead. You're alive, but you're dead. Everything about you is dead. You know, you're dead, maybe in your mind. It might as well be that I'm dead. I mean, I'm good for nothing. You know, I'm, I'm useless. Or maybe there's a situation that you don't have any more hope because death brings certain finality, so it seems. The situation, you go, this is it. It's like Martha, that's it. She was resigned to the fact, to, at least in her mind, that she was going to see her brother at the last day. Resurrect her last day. And maybe you're like Lazarus. And the Bible does say we are like Lazarus. The Bible says we are dead because of our sins. But Jesus Christ can make us alive. He can make us born again. You see, Jesus said in John 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And the Pharisee, Nicodemus, how can a man enter his mother's womb and be born again? I mean, he was thinking in the natural. That's impossible, naturally. But Jesus was not speaking of that. He's speaking of him being born in the spirit. We are born physically, but because of sin, we're dead spiritually. The great reality is the spiritual realm. 
And then Jesus said, unless you're born of water and the spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. See, it's not about religion. Religion never saves. No religion on earth can save. It's not about being loyal to a set of religion, a religious tradition. You see, when we all face God at the last day, he's not going to ask, are you from victory? Are you from that church beside victory? Are you from that church on top of the mountains? Are you a Baptist? Are you Presbyterian? Are you Methodist? Are you Catholic? Are you charismatic? Are you Pentecostal? He's not going to ask what religion you have. He's going to see if you have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not about religion. And that's the thing which goes to the last group of people. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they actually plotted against Jesus. I didn't put it here, but if you could go to your Bibles and go to John 11. After Jesus resurrected Lazarus, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And then so Caiaphas basically prophesied. But that, let's jump. And then verse 53 says, So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Imagine. The religious leaders that the people trusted were plotting to kill this paragon. Think about it. You're trusting me here, and I'm plotting to kill someone. Ironic, isn't it? They were so blinded by their position and their religion that they could not accept Jesus. And here's the thing. The problem with people who are loyal to their religion, whatever religion it may be, is that they even look at God and try to fit God or someone who represents God. They want them to fit their religion or their mode, their understanding. And if they do not fit it, they reject it. They reject the people or they even reject God. That's why when Jesus performed a miracle, casted a demon out of a person, they said, that's from the devil. Remember, the Pharisees said that, that's from the devil. It's by the power of the devil that he cast the demons out. Jesus said, if Satan casts out Satan, then his house is divided. It does make sense. But here, if I cast out demons because of the finger of God, then here's the truth. The kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's the reality. The kingdom of God has come because Jesus has been casting demons out by the power of the Spirit. But the religious people are the ones who oppose the truth of Jesus, and they prevent others from seeing that truth. Are you like that today? Are you so given to your set of religious beliefs that you don't recognize the way, the truth, and the life? That you reject even Jesus? You're even plotting to kill him. Maybe in our minds, oh, this Jesus they're preaching, it's not, let me disprove it. That's what Paul did. That's what the Apostle Paul did. Right? He tried to disprove this thing until he met the one he was trying to disprove. And he was whacked into sense. And he realized he was in the wrong. And so he repented. And now he became a believer. 
as we're about to end here, these religious leaders eventually succeeded. They succeeded in their plot. Jesus was arrested, albeit illegally. He was tried illegally. And he was sentenced to death and he was executed on a cross. And to them, ha, we're done. We're done with this problem. We've taken care of it. Now we can go back to our merry old ways. But you see, with Jesus, as he has already proven with Lazarus, death is not final with him. And because Jesus had no sin, he died for the sins of all humanity. But he had no sin of his own. Death has no power over him. Death could not hold him, and death could not keep him in the grave. That's been his mission all along, is to defeat the enemies of our soul, to defeat sin, death, and the grave, so that he could give us eternal life. And Jesus, on the third day after he was crucified, rose from the tomb, rose from death, and was alive forevermore. And today he is alive. That's why we can serve him. That's why he can perform miracles for us today, because he's alive. The question now is, will you be like Martha? Will you be like the Jews who believed? Or will you be like the religious leaders who opposed him? That's a question I would like for you to ask yourself today. My next question is, how would you respond to that? And here's the goal of John. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written the seven that he wrote, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. When you have life in his name, when you believe, you will see his glory demonstrated and manifested in and through your life. Amen. As I end, in his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus showed the extent of his power. His power can go beyond the grave and beyond Sheol, the chamber of souls for the dead. But he also showed the extent of his love for us. As we celebrate his resurrection today, let's not celebrate his resurrection just on Easter Sunday, but every day let's celebrate his resurrection. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that because of your great love, Lord, you show the extent of that love, Lord, by dying on the cross and saving us from our sins. And Lord, there is no limit to your power and to your love. And that's why today we are saved. And Lord, I pray that all of us here would respond in whatever way to your great love today. Lord, we honor you. We give you praise and glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless everybody.